This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Bursting into flames atop Tantrum's little orange head, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Copperhead Captain Zach Goff. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Before we get to the show, very exciting news. We're going to give away a Viper Combat Robotics kit from our friends at FingerTech Robotics right now, live on the podcast. Uh, are you excited? Because I'm pretty stoked about this. Woo! Yeah. yeah. Get that Viper kit. Yeah, we had uh, 65 people enter to win, and we got so many great little notes from the community about why they wanted to win and what they planned to do with the kit. Um, and my big hope is that, although we are, are going to award one right now, that 64 other people who are interested in the kit go and check it out and buy one from uh, from Curtis over at Fingertech. However, uh, we are going to give one away. I have uh, signed every single entry a unique number. And I put all those numbers into random.org. And I am right about to figure out who wins. All right, drum roll, please. Number 64. Okay. I knew it. <laughs> all right, 64. All right, let me let me read this quickly to make sure that it's this is safe for uh, safe for work. Oh my gosh, it's great. Okay, sixty four. All right, sixty four is from William Dirks, who writes, "I would love to win this kit for my soon to be eight year old daughter. She has shown a great interest in STEM and wants to now build robots." so that she can compete across the country. Having been into BattleBots for years, I want to help her live out this dream. And so the opportunity to get this kit would truly help start her journey into combat robotics. You guys, amazing. Well, All right, William. Congratulations. We're going to reach out to you on Facebook and uh, Curtis will send you this Viper kit. And I would love to hear about the builds and how your daughter likes it. So congratulations. I'm so happy. That's the best part of my day. This is a truly wholesome outcome. <laughs> Time now for yet another round of snap decisions where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's matches and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 28 people participate in snap decisions. Five people managed to correctly call seven out of eight matches. Those people are Noel Villegas, Austin Brady, Cameron Hutton, Daniel Leslie Marshall, and B is for BattleBots illustrator Caleb Kempson. Taking a closer look at the data, the sure shots last week were Endgame versus Perfect Phoenix, 
and Bloodsport versus Gruff, with 28 out of 28 people correctly predicting that Endgame and Bloodsport would win. However, to be fair, Bloodsport was almost an upset, squeaking by Gruff with a shattered weapon bar. The biggest upset, though, was Copperhead versus Mammoth, with 0 out of 28 people correctly predicting that Mammoth would win. After a bracket-breaking round of 32, we ended up resetting our contest and invited people to send in their revised top 16 predictions. So we'll run with those top 16 predictions going forward in hopes of awarding at least one BattleBots hex bug of someone's choice. All right, let's run through this week's top 16 matches. I'm really looking forward to this. Can't wait to hear your predictions. As the field narrows, these become harder and harder and harder to call. So I'm really stoked to hear your predictions. Are you ready? Not really. But I'll try. <laughs> I don't know anything about BattleBots, and I'm wrong about everything. So let's do it. All right. That's that's uh, it's it's good to have humility as as we enter this uh this round of snap decisions. Okay. Um, we don't know what order these are going to go in, so I'm just going to read them from left to right. Uh, Hydra number one seed versus Gigabyte, the number seventeen seed. Kyle, your prediction here. Oh man. Um, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. The the weird attachment thing that Hydra has been teasing, I don't know if it's a troll. I don't know if it's real. I do know it seems like a terrible idea. What are they trying to do with that? Are they trying to get the, the like self-writing pole up tap? Yes. To hold them away? I think so. It seems so weird when... You know, the wedge on Hydra is already so low and they could presumably get underneath them and flip them very well. Um, I don't understand the thought process behind it. I do know that the drivetrain on Gigabyte is no joke and they should be able to plow right past that mild steel keep away stick. Um, I'm going to give it to Hydra. Okay. Because it's been a really dumb idea to bet against them this season. But I don't like their strategy or their trolling strategy, presumably, going into it. Okay. Chris, your prediction for this match. In the land of the spatula and pancakes, the spatula is king. Okay. So uh, that would be Hydra, is that right? Yeah, I, I mean... Obviously, what that attachment would be is, I think, if they bring that into the fight, it's, it's, I think it's a one-time use kind of thing, where perhaps they want to shuffleboard Gigabyte into the wall, um, have them lose some of that uh, that energy that they've stored up in their shell, uh, giving Hydra, you know, maybe easy access to pull off, um, you know, one flip at the at the edge of the arena, and um, and that would be it. Hmm. Lindsay, your prediction. Uh, I actually think that if Gigabyte is able to drive well in this match, they're going to have a really good shot. Um, it would take, I think that they're going to be able to hit Hydra and maybe repel them um, quicker than Hydra would be able to at that precise moment of the hit, like use the flipper and send them flying. So I can see a path for Gigabyte winning, um, and I'm just gonna say gigabyte and eat my words later. Right. Um, I'm going to join Kyle and Chris in saying Hydra. Um, and my prediction here is that one of two things is going to happen. Um, and guaranteed, either way, a third thing will happen. So, um, kind of 
path one is Hydra manages to measure the distance correctly so that they are able to just keep away from the edge of the spinning shell, just enough to get their flipper arm underneath the shell consistently, and then land these, these kind of glancing flips. However, I think what's actually going to happen is that it's going to be so far that these two bots are not going to ever touch. Um, Hydra is going to catch that little self-writing bar and just push, 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 push. Um, kind of like if if you ever fought a um, much larger bully and they they just kind of I don't know put 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 their hand on your uh, your your uh, your face so you couldn't couldn't make contact. And the third thing is uh, either either way anything that happens unless Hydra gets absolutely destroyed it's going to be controversial. So buckle up, fans, for next week. Wait, real quick. Do we think that attachment is for real, or do we think that that was a photo taken, you know, as a jest to kind of rile people up? Because I don't understand how it's attached, and and if Gigabyte were to spin up and hit it, like I don't see that going well for Hydra. So is it like I I, I just have questions. Jake said he cut up the bike wrap for another fight. To use yeah, for but we fight. don't know that he used it in a fight. It could have just been uh, for a joke. For a, yeah, for, yeah. I don't know. He likes heat. He likes leaning into heat, and he likes putting silly attachments on his bot that uh, work as long as you have perfect driving. I, uh, we'll see. It seems reasonable, but I have no idea. Um, we're gonna have to see on Thursday. I I do think that it's real. Um, and I think that it's going to be so high and so far out that it will just catch that self-riding bar and just see the the robot spin helplessly basically um and <laughs> we may see a, a hydra rule you know in the 2021 rule book around uh you need to use your active weapon when you use an attachment um and and that would be in keeping in line with the kind of wayachi uh uh history i think in the sport all right, uh, on over to Whiplash that comes in at number eight seed versus Valkyrie at number nine seed. This is a rematch. We got to see Whiplash and Valkyrie earlier this season, and they are meeting once again in the top 16. Your prediction here, Kyle. Uh, my prediction for this match, this is going to go once again to Whiplash. The Whiplads will rejoice, and this is how this fight will go. I, I don't see it going to Valkyrie. They've got, you know, Valkyrie's got a um, very specific set of limitations this year. It's a very small set of limitations, but it's very specific. And Whiplash has got it nailed down. Chris, will Whiplash be able to um, replicate its experience earlier in the season? Or will Valkyrie have uh, learned its lesson and come back with something new? I don't really know what Valkyrie could come back with that would be new. Um, so, you know, therefore, in the rock, paper, scissors of it all, I would say that Whiplash is likely to take this again. Lindsay, your prediction? I think that if this um, rematch was happening next year, that Valkyrie would have a much better shot. I just don't think that there was enough time. It's probably only a matter of a couple of days in between the two fights. I don't think Valkyrie was would be able to you know, really craft a defense um, that would give them the edge. So I'm going whiplash. 
And I will also go Whiplash. All right, on number two, Uppercut coming in at number four versus Ribot at number 20. Two Massachusetts teams who face one another often in the lower weight classes. Kyle, will we be seeing a frog getting punched in the face on Thursday? Will we see a frog getting punched in the face? Yes, we will see a frog get punched in the face. And we will see that frog retaliate by winning the match. Whoa, really? Wow. Yes. I think so. I love it. Bold prediction. Chris, your your prediction here. I predict a, a frog getting punched in the face and uh, likely returning the favor and then punched in the face again and maybe returning the favor. Uh, ultimately, I think it goes to the punchy punchy. Mm. I'm going to go with uppercut. Okay, uppercut. Lindsay, your prediction. I really feel like this could go either way but oh i'm gonna go with uppercut hmm. i am also going to go with uppercuts all right on number two black dragon at number five versus tombstone at number 21 two really big bots this year uh kyle your prediction for this no doubt explosive match if you are going to beat tombstone you have to drive a perfect match we have not seen Black Dragon drive a perfect match yet this season, and I have no reason to believe they will do so on Thursday. Well said. All right. Uh, Chris, your prediction. I can't say it better than Kyle did, so I'm going to say Tombstone. Okay, Tombstone. Lindsay? And I can't say it better than Chris and Kyle did, so I'm going to say Tombstone. Luke, bet a dollar. Bet a dollar. <laughs> Should I bet a dollar? What am I betting a dollar on? No, it's just price is right rules. We're we're all we're all going down the one. <laughs> That's right. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna bet a dollar, and I will also go with Tombstone. Um, all right, on over to Bloodsport at number two versus Tantrum at number eighteen. Kyle, your prediction? Well, I think that uh, Tantrum is going to uh, try to outdrive and get the inside straight while they're getting completely and totally demolished by Bloodsport. Um, mm -hmm. Tantrums, I mean, they got wrecked in that last fight. Like, that weapon channel was completely bent out of shape. Uh, it's not like they've got a bunch of spares lying. Or, like, there is, they're not going to go in there 100%. They're going in there 60-70%. And you can't go in there at 60 or 70% and face Bloodsport. They don't quit this year. And even when their blade breaks, they win the control bot fight against a control bot. Like, come on. Yeah. Chris, your prediction? Uh, ooh. Um, Tantrum has not disappointed this season. I like, I would. Can we just get a round of applause for Tantrum? Yeah. yeah. Amen. Yes. Tantrum's done so well. Like, the, the, the bot that was once like the butt of like tombstone jokes is, is right here in the end game. Um, uh, that said, Bloodsport is uh, is a bot that is like uh, a ghoul that's come back from the dead, <laughs> um, and uh, you can't kill it, you know. Um, so I'm going to say Bloodsport. Okay, Lindsay, your prediction? Yeah, you saw it in Aaron's face when he was being interviewed after the fight. It was like he knew he won, but at what cost? Like, <laughs> just, he's not going to be able to rebuild that bot i don't think in time to to give him a real fighting chance which is a shame um but e either way i think it would be it would go to blood sport so but yes round of applause for tantrum 
I am also going to say Bloodsport. However, I think this is going to be a really good match. I think it's going to be pretty destructive. Um, Bloodsport doesn't like to hit kind of wedges and uh, right up the front of, of Tantrum. Tantrum's weapon is also pretty far back on the bot. Um, so it's not guaranteed they're going to make weapon-on-weapon contact. Um, there, There is... A possibility there's a path that bloodsport breaks it's it's what it's weapon bar maybe not physically again but maybe it's it's weapon goes down and tantrum kind of dominates but i think this is a pretty tough tough road to climb for for tantrum so i'm gonna go with bloodsport all right on up to sawblades at number seven versus witch doctor at number 23 kind of two real titans in the sport this is going to be a good one kyle your prediction here so this is a rematch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Last time we saw Sawblaze get beaten pretty handily. Now, Luke, you'll recall we recently called some robot fights where we saw Jameson go do another rematch against a very powerful vertical spinner at the 30-pound weight class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a pretty famous video on YouTube of uh, Megatron getting its front plow ripped off by Big Ripto and launched into the ceiling at Franklin Institute back in, I think it was 2016. And going into this rematch uh, at um, Norwalk Havoc, you know, Jameson was pretty concerned uh, about this rematch because of how bad the damage was to his bot the first time around. But it, I got to say, the way that Jameson handled that rematch was a master class in driving hmm. totally dominating the most powerful vertical spinner in the 30 pound weight class i think that that that's fair to say you know there's really nobody else that, that comes close and winning that match handily um i could see a lot of the same thing happening this time around sawblaze has been working really well this entire time uh which doctor has not and you got to think that Jameson, the way his brain works after he got beaten by Witch Doctor last time, developed enough strategies slash attachments that he is going to be fully prepared for them this time. So I'm giving this one to Sawblaze. Wow. Okay. Um, even though they're higher seated, it still feels a little bit like an upset. It um, will be an upset if they win. <laughs> it will definitely yeah. be an upset. Chris, your, your prediction? Kyle keeps saying things so all smart like. <laughs> uh, for all those reasons and more, I'm gonna say Sawblaze. Whoa, okay. Lindsay, are you going to uh, lead the Sawblaze to victory yet again with Sawblaze? Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah, and and honestly, exactly what Kyle said. I don't want to repeat it, but like. I imagine that there have been many sleepless nights where Jameson thought nothing other than like how to um, redeem Sawblaze against Witch Doctor. And I think that I would not want to be on the receiving end of uh, Jameson's brain trying to just single-handedly figure out how to beat me. And I, I think I think that he'll have the answer. I love Sawblaze and I love Jameson Go, but y'all wild because it's absolutely going to be witch doctor on thursday um yeah this this bot is dialed in we have now seen two matches in a row where they have walked away absolutely unscathed i'm really looking forward to this rematch i think it's going to be our biggest test of that new weapon disc 
Um, What's that new weapon disc made out of, Luke? What is it made out of? AR-400, is that right? Yeah, and Jameson is, is made out of AR-550. 550, Luke, 550. That's 50 more ARs, abrasion resistances, than anybody else in the competition. All right, listen. The, the, the different types of metals have different characteristics. It's not like 550 is inherently better than 400 and 600 is better than number, 550. <laughs> oh my God. My God. <laughs> You're wild. I love it. Okay. On over to Mammoth at number 30 versus Shatter at number 19. Kyle, your prediction here. Uh, just what the heck are we going to say? <laughs> like mammoth did the thing where that nobody thought they would do in the last episode like what what was that everybody thought they were going to get chewed up and spit out by this incredibly powerful drum sprinter and instead they just you know flipped them all over the match and did everything right and totally won and like nobody disagreed with that decision this is gonna be so weird um that said Hammers and Mammoth have not done well in the past. Hmm. Hammers tend to hit exactly where the battery box and all the important things are on Mammoth if they can get to it. And Shatter is made to drive in such a way that they will be able to get to it. So I'm going to call this one for Shatter, but I have been bit clear in the buttocks for betting against Mammoth in the past, and I would not be surprised if that happens this time. Chris, are you uh, planning to bet against Mammoth this coming week? Uh, well, Mammoth did a great job of making me look like uh, a total idiot. Uh, <laughs> it's not hard, uh, but they it was just, it was like a master class uh, in making me feel dumb. Um <laughs> I I couldn't have predicted the way that fight would have gone, uh, you know, last Thursday if I if you gave me like a hundred years to to study the two bots. <laughs> <clears throat> and um, that said, uh, I'm going to continue to prove <laughs> I'm an idiot, and I'm going to say that Shatter is going to win this match. Good, good, uh, Lindsay. Your prediction. Uh, what what everybody else said. Same shatter, same thoughts, same prediction. All right, and I'm also going to go with shatter. And finally, uh, Kyle, your prediction here, endgame at number six versus rotator at number 22. Yeah, this one's going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, normally, I would say endgame because um, rotator really struggles against verts. Uh, that being said, um, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Endgame because Rotator normally really struggles against Verts. Um, Chris, your prediction? Yeah, I'm gonna. Whew, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the Vert uh, here, and I'm gonna say that Endgame is gonna get just just enough of what it needs to get under a Rotator, and uh, you know it's gonna. Be lights out. Hmm. Lindsay? I think that Rotator is going to go heavy in the wedge uh, strategy 
and be able to kind of wedge Endgame around uh, enough to give them the advantage. And I'm going to call it for Rotator. Oh, okay. Um, I am going to say Endgame. Um, I think that that they have proven time and time again they're able to handle horizontals. I know that Rotator is a little lower than some of the other horizontals that Endgame has faced. But I am hopeful and I'm confident that they're going to be able to get under Rotator's blade and basically punt uh, Victor Soto's bot across the uh, the box. Um, all right. Um, we are going to obviously see what happens on Thursday. Thanks, everyone, for sending in your revised top 16 predictions. And uh, we will just have to see uh, if, uh, if our brackets survive yet another week. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. First up, as the BattleBot season winds to a close, multiple teams head to eBay to auction off robot parts and memorabilia in hopes of raising additional money for their future builds. This week, we saw new eBay listings from Witch Doctor, Bloodsport, and Hypershock with the types of robot parts you'd expect, like signed weapon discs, top armor, etc. However, our friends over at Team Malice really went all out putting one-of-a-kind team memorabilia up for auction, notably the team's aluminum paddle with onyx handle. Bidding started at $75 and climbed rapidly and ultimately sold for $377. Yeah, they just need to sell like a thousand more paddles and they'll, they'll be fine. <laughs> And finally, the first episode of Mammoth Ranch saw its internet debut with Mammoth Captain Ricky Willems, teammate Bryce Farrell, and a few other friends take turns shooting plastics, metals, and other materials with handguns and rifles. If you're interested in seeing some truly sketchy gun safety, check out this video on Facebook. <laughs> Just do the thing, Chris. Just do the thing. Just do yeah. it. All right, I gotta get something off my chest. Um, yeah, I, like I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with just like a bunch of, uh, you know, level sets. Um, okay. One, I, uh, I'm a gun enthusiast who has, uh, who has guns. Uh, secondly, I understand that in. In the world of BattleBots, with the way that uh, trademarks work and everything, teams have to come up with some very interesting ways to capitalize on uh, the the communities that they've built and uh, and the merchandise that they make to explore avenues for revenue generation to fund the next generation of uh, bots. Uh, C. I understand that. In, in the world of YouTube, uh, having a, a, a community that you can advertise to uh, with a consistent following is a great way to earn, um, earn some, some valuable revenue. Uh, and that there are a lot of gun enthusiasts out there, uh, namely some uh, crazy Russians that do an exceptional job of this. Uh, however, uh, for this particular show on on youtube um not really checking a whole lot of boxes for me mm. uh i there there are 
you know, questionable practices around safety, like you had just mentioned, Luke. Um, you know, in addition, it could be edited a lot better. Uh, <laughs> but going, actually, going back to the first point, don't toss a gun, even if it's unloaded, to another person. Don't True. ever do that. Don't ever do it on camera. Um, you know, uh, I, I, also, the whole science aspect of it is questionable because of the method of testing... Uh, you know, different types of uh, caliber in weapons versus specific types of uh, of armor um, that you you really need to have a process in place for, you know, for it to be a true test. What we see is just a bunch of different pieces of bots just on a card table uh, in the middle of a field, probably somewhere in Jersey, um, I'm, I'm guessing. And uh, I, I, I just think that there could have been a little bit more of the scientific substance behind it. And there could have been more of a, uh, of, of, of a why. I, I mean, I would, hey, I would, I would love to talk to them and, you know, uh, and, and, and talk about, like, what are some great ways that we could build a formula as someone with a film background, you know, I, I could share knowledge about, you know, this is how you build a story arc and, this is how you do lighting because it looks like you're shooting a video on the surface of the sun. <laughs> but don't do it just for the sake of doing it. Like if you want to, if you want to build something, there's a science to it. Hmm. Okay. Does Does anyone, Luke? You are a uh, you are a gun range security and and an operations person. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Chris, so I, I spent a year as a range safety officer in California, worked every Saturday at one of the biggest gun ranges in the Bay Area. Uh, so we'd have like anywhere from 300 to 500 people show up to, to shoot. And we had a whole staff, like 12 range safety officers. It was very buttoned up. And we were super, super concerned about safety because uh, we took the sport seriously. I feel like BattleBots is also pretty concerned about safety. Um, there's so many so many fail-safes, you know, like we do this and do this and do this and do this, and all four of those things need to fail for uh, somebody to get hurt at BattleBots. Um, I know that a lot of the builders are really safety conscious. Um, so watching a video where you don't have a, a backstop <laughs> and you're firing into wood into the woods in just hopes that your uh, 30-06 round is going to hit a tree and uh, not go flying into a, a kid's playground is not great, I would say. Um, you know, kind of like talking uh, to the camera and then uh, walking behind your friend, revealing that uh, you've been downrange the entire time and there's somebody behind you with a gun, also not great. Um, I love Ricky. Uh, I love Mammoth, obviously. Uh, we we had Ricky on a couple of weeks ago, um, but uh, but yeah, some of the safety stuff was a bit lax, in my personal opinion. Kyle, I know you also fall into the um, the uh, the semi redneck category with Luke and I. What are you, what's your opinion <laughs> on the matter? I actually didn't watch too terribly much of this video. Uh, I saw some of it on silent before we started recording. There was a hill behind where they were shooting. I, I thought it was weird that they had everything up on that folding table. Um, yeah, it's lax gun safety. It's redneck gun safety. Yeah, I wouldn't participate if I was like out there with those dudes and they were all behaving like that. I would probably hang back by my truck. But, uh, you know, 
to each their own. All right, good, balanced, balanced, all right. All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of episode 12. This was another bracket breaker of an episode with incredibly destructive fights, with evenly matched opponents, weird attachments, split judges' decisions, one bot literally wearing another bot as a hat, and an upset that literally nobody saw coming. So let's get into the first fight, Lockjaw versus Shatter. This was a pretty even matchup, at least according to our listeners, who gave the slight edge to Lockjaw in this match, but only by a little. Lockjaw came out with a shock-mounted half-inch plastic top armor, a new plastic belt protector, and thicker titanium. Shatter came out with its anti-vertical spinner configuration, with double the downforce from its magnets, and long forks designed to keep Lockjaw's vertical disc away from the bot's ablative armor. That configuration worked, and Shatter landed several big hits on the top of Lockjaw, breaking the bot's plastic armor and nearly clipping its weapons belt. Lockjaw started smoking and even caught fire at one point, lost its weapon, and was ultimately counted out. Super destructive match here, and Shatter cruises to a knockout in just under two minutes. Your thoughts on this fight? Have any of you guys watched Bounty Hunters yet? Because if you haven't watched Bounty Hunters yet, all I will tell you is Shatter is best Hammerbot, period, the end. Really? Better than Beta? Better than Beta. I love the alliteration in that sentence. But yes, better than Beta. Watch Bounty Hunters to find out why. Shatter is the, the world's top hammer. Like, there are no others. Is that right, Kyle? I mean, if we're going hammer to hammer, then you probably can't compare to Chomp. Chomp's hammer is ridiculous. Um, but if we're talking about overall Hammerbots, Shatter's the winner. Love it. Love it. All right, on over to Jackpot versus Rotator. Uh, weird match with Jackpot coming out with a new configuration we haven't seen before with a big wedge that it attached to the back of the robot in hopes of driving backwards into Rotator, getting Victor Soto up onto the top of the bot and kicking it away. However, the team later revealed they weren't able to reverse the direction of their vertical discs in time and instead ran the discs upward versus downward. Despite that, the first few moments of this fight went in Jackpot's favor as they pushed Rotator face first into the wall in an attempt to break that horizontal blade. But Victor adapted, knocking Jackpot on its head in the corner with no way to self-right, ending a very successful rookie run for Jeff Waters and team, who I suspect we'll be seeing again in the coming season. Your thoughts on this fight? It was, uh, I mean, it's the incredible end of a, a, an incredible story I think that this is probably um, this. This was what was written in the stars, and kind of shows the uh, you know how new jackpot is to the sport. Eventually, when you're when you're changing your overall bot's design and configuration in you know in preparation for a specific type of fight, you have to at some point abandon the strategy if you're not able to adapt your bot. And, you know, if, if Jackpot had just gone with the old tried-and-true weapon first, go, go hard, go fast, if they really took, you know, the, um, the bite force approach to this fight, it would have been theirs. At, at least that's my, my hypothesis. Mm. One of the most interesting things that we're seeing this season is this idea of, like, oh, I don't have just one robot, I have two robots, because I can drive it backwards, they're going to put something on the back, you know? Like, we saw that with the Sub-Zero fight, um, where Logan Davis started backwards, we saw it in this fight. I think it's kind of interesting, it's probably difficult, I mean, I don't know, it's probably difficult, like, mentally to figure out 
how to reverse the controls, especially if at some other point in the match you get flipped around and you have to drive forward instead of backward. Um, it's an interesting, it's, it's, it's kind of cool, a little weird. Um, and I wonder if we're going to see more of it in, in future seasons. I think we're definitely going to see more of this in future seasons. I mean, part of the reason Rotator was so cool to begin with is, you know, it was a weapon on either side of the bot. Now with these like low wedge options that they have or like impervious wedge options that they have, Rotator's turned into a whole different animal. It's, um, you know, very hard to deal with, very hard to predict. They can do that tail whip thing better than Tombstone in the sense that like Tombstone can't really engage you with the back of their bot. They have to rely on timing and good driving. You know, Rotator can full on engage you with the back of their bot and then do that tail whip uh, attack on your wheels. It's very effective. Similarly, I think um, the attachment idea on Jeff Waters' bot on, on uh, Jackpot was brilliant. It was a really good move. They just lost the low ground. You know, you can't, can't do much about that, but it was a great idea. Well said, Kyle. All right, on over to Endgame versus Perfect Phoenix. This was another sub 60 second knockout for the Kiwis who've been on an absolute tear this season with Endgame. They've had a lot of success with their wall strategy, closing the distance with their opponent and popping them up onto the screws. In the case of Tombstone and Hypershock, they popped them out of the arena. And here with Perfect Phoenix, they left Tyler Wynn's bot inverted and helpless, unable to get down from the screws, earning the knockout in just 57 seconds. Your thoughts on this match? Your thoughts on Tyler Wynn's rookie run at BattleBots? Thoughts in general about this? Yeah. I think that Tyler still has some bragging rights over Ray because I'm pretty sure that Perfect Phoenix uh, put up a little bit more of a fight against Endgame than Tombstone. Way more of a fight, yes. I, I'm really liking Tyler's story. Um, I think that he brings something interesting to the sport in that he's so clearly a super fan who's a kid. And I, I think like it's it's so much wish fulfillment for so many kids who are watching the Discovery Channel with their parents who are 8 to 11, right? Um, they wish that that they could go on the show and, and take on endgame you know kind of take on these these huge huge names i think it's really important to, to get more kids involved in the sports and tyler seems like a really great ambassador for that really really looking forward to seeing um his sophomore season and and beyond did you see the damage to perfect phoenix that was posted after this match no where was this uh so endgame actually posted the photos you know courtesy of tyler because um, they're not pitted near each other. So, uh, you know, they, they asked Tyler if he could send the photos over to them. Um, the bar was completely bent. The wedge was completely bent up. And the frame front frame of the robot was actually, like, bent up in the middle. Wow. wow. Like, the damage that Endgame did to uh, Perfect Phoenix was ridiculous and catastrophic. Um Tyler drove incredibly well in this match. And I will say, given, given a new bot with lots of spares, Tyler would be top 16, mm. top 8, top 4 material this year. Mm. So watch out next year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more examples of his driving on display. 
um, it's there's always a learning curve. I mean, I know that he's a fantastic BOA driver, but there's a learning curve when when you get up to heavyweights. And I think that he learned a lot in this season. Yeah. And um, yeah, subsequent seasons really really a, a builder to uh, to watch. All right, on over to Copperhead versus Mammoth. On paper, this was Copperhead's match. A dense little bot that packs a huge amount of kinetic energy up against the season's biggest brat, which was mostly filled with air and has lots of juicy targets to hit. However, Copperhead faced some reliability issues and lost its weapon for 60 seconds, where Mammoth racked up aggression and control points. And although the weapon came back at the end of the match and I was on the edge of my seat, hoping the Copperhead would be able to turn the tide of this fight as the clock wound down, Mammoth hung in and earned a split judge's decision. Super close fight, thrilling finish with an unconventional bot advancing to the top 16. Your thoughts on this fight? Man, uh, the whole time <laughs> watching this match, I was just screaming, like, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. And they did it. And I don't really have anything to say that hasn't already been said. It was just so weird and so wild. And they kept landing those yeets like over and over actually making contact like getting it, it up on its side like flipping it over that was what mammoth was designed to do and even with like that bendy uhmw weapon like it worked it's it's definitely a weird end to copperhead season copperhead is such a dominant bot we we have um we have zach coming on the show here in just a little bit to talk about the season. But I mean, that robot Copperhead is, is designed to win. It is absolutely a competitive design and the team is just unparalleled. Um, and to win in like, and, and like in this match, like I, I really had no idea how it was going to go. And, and because it was split, we know that the judges were also really split on it as well. I, I just, I was, it was thrilling. It was so, so thrilling. And it's so cool that we're seeing these, these still giant upsets, still super thrilling matches, even in, in the championship. Yeah. I mean, that's what the championship is. That's what makes it exciting, right? If it was just every single time the highest seated bot won over, or the lowest seated bot won over the highest seated bot, like that wouldn't be nearly as exciting. So, Unfortunately for Copperhead, this they were a, a victim of that. But uh, what a season for them. What a season that they should be really proud of. This was so interesting because they were like talking at the beginning of the fight about how Mammoth had to choose that UHMW weapon out of necessity because everything else was pretty much broken by this point in the tournament. And it turned out to be exactly what they needed to mm -hmm. absorb all of those hits and still have a really good point of engagement against Copperhead. I yeah. think they should go all UHMW weapons all the time. It's, uh, it's interesting you say that. I, I saw Bryce say somewhere, it might have been in like the BattleBots page chat or somewhere, um, that they are actually considering going uh, more heavy on the UHMW uh, for their weapons in the future. So this was a, could have been a good learning experience for them. Yeah, absolutely. This was a great match. I mean, just ridiculously fun from top to finish. And quite frankly, at the end of it, no matter which direction the judges would have gone, I'd have been like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, like both the bots did a great job. I can see why they gave it to Mammoth, but I could see it going the other way too. Um, I personally scored this one for Mammoth, and I am really glad that they won. All right, on our two, Sawblaze versus Kraken. This was a fantastic fight. They really showed the toughness, durability, and driving skill of these two builders. Sawblaze ran its experimental AR550 hammer saw in this match, while Kraken came out in its basically standard configuration with a bit of extra aluminum top armor. Sawblaze captain Jameson Go later said his goal was to try and hit the inside of Kraken's mouth and take out the bot's airbag without getting so far inside the mouth that Kraken could clamp down. Well, that exchange didn't go exactly according to plan as Kraken managed to land a big bite on the hammer saw, pulling up one of its wheels off the floor in the process. Both bots ended up getting stuck, and the show had to pause the match so they could send in the crew to get the bots unstuck. That's a moment that we didn't see in the broadcast, just kind of magically got unstuck. Um, however, during that exchange, Sawblaze managed to clip through two of the six springs inside of Kraken's jaw that allow the bot to quickly open its mouth. Kraken's airbag also sprung a leak and was down for the rest of the match, which ultimately went to the judges who called a unanimous decision for Sawblaze, who advances. Your thoughts on this match? I think it is interesting that Sawblaze, um, for bots that it likes, wants the match to go the full three minutes. Hmm. We saw this with Rusty. Sawblaze chopped a wheel off of Kraken. Kraken very well should have been counted out at that point. But Sawblaze actually pushed them around the box and made it look like controlled movement so that the match could go the full three minutes. And I, I think other drivers wouldn't do that because it's not strategically valuable. But Jameson's there to put on a good show, and Jameson's there to make his friends look good. And that's just the kind of competitor and guy that he is. And I think that's awesome. Mm. I think that Kraken has ended this season looking like the toughest spot in the game. It did not get knocked out a single time. It has, it was basically functioning for the most part. You know, this was, this one, it probably took maybe the biggest beating, but it, it, I think that Matt and his team should walk away from this season feeling nothing but like pride and joy and just sheer happiness because they put on some of the most fantastic matches this season and came away looking like superstars. Um, and I really thought for a minute there that when uh, they got that, I guess it wasn't technically a bite because Sawblaze's weapon ended up in the mouth of Kraken and it hadn't actually clamped down. It was just, that's how it shook out. But I thought for a second that this was going to be Krakens to lose like that they were actually going to pull it out and be able to, to control Sawblaze from there and out so I mean they really they gave that match a run for their money and um, obviously I'm, I'm so happy that Sawblaze is continuing on but I'm I'm sad for Matt too because he, he deserves to keep going at the same time it's like I just hate I, I don't know maybe I'm a sucker I just hate that people have to lose <laughs> you know um, especially when it, it just seems like They've already won so much. Yeah. My big wish for, for Matt Spurk in uh, the 2021 season is that the show finally tells the story of his backstory, you know, like as an aerospace engineer who works on rockets at, at, in Florida is so cool. Um, but we 
don't get any of that ever. It's just like, oh, it's just a bunch of Florida man pirates, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Woo! Right, pirates from Florida, and it's like <laughs> that is one of the smartest people on the entire show, and um, a rocket scientist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just kind of gets put into the uh, the kind of colorful, colorful mega team. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to see more of that story. Kraken is for real. Kraken is legit. Kraken is a serious threat, and uh, I think we're going to see more and more of it coming back. You know what I love the most about this team? They care just as much about the aesthetics and the presentation as they do about their bot um, functioning and being an effective machine, and uh, that has not paid off for them at all until this year, but wow, did it pay off for them this year. Mm. And somehow Matt still finds the time to post the best memes and dad jokes around. So <laughs> really, at all. that runs in the entire Spurk family, as it seems, as Matt's brother also, uh, Stephen also posts ridiculously good memes. Um, so yeah, I, I think that this team is great from top to bottom. I cannot wait to see what they bring next year. I'm glad they had such a ridiculously good season. That bot just won't die. It just won't die. And I love it. Talk about a ghoul. <laughs> on over to Bloodsport versus Gruff. Uh, this was nearly the second upset of the night. Bloodsport came out sporting its 78-pound tri-bar blade, its heaviest, most powerful, most stable, and most expensive weapon blade, which cracked basically immediately as soon as it made contact with Gruff. Gruff later said it was still working out the kinks in an experimental drivetrain and that its first collision with Bloodsport compressed the frame and shattered one of its bearings. With two heavily damaged bots now engaged in a pushing match, it went all three minutes and ended in a split decision with Gruff yet again missing entry to the top 16 in a judge's decision to a horizontal spinner. Your thoughts on this fight. So do you guys remember the television show Pimp My Ride with Exhibit? <laughs> okay, Kyle, I'm not even kidding. I was talking to my girlfriend about Pimp My Ride like four days ago. Not related to BattleBots at all. Uh, so there's a great meme based off of this TV show that I think is happening here uh, in which Bloodsport essentially was the exhibit in this situation saying, <laughs> Yo, Gruff! I heard you like control bots. So I brought you a control bot to control your control bot. What's up? <laughs> um, because like that, they broke, they broke their big spin spin and then they just controlled gruff. What's that? That's crazy. With, with two teeny tiny little wedgelets. Teeny tiny little wedgelets, just pushing them all around the box, slamming them into walls, making them look like Bloodsport was the real control bot all along. It was crazy. <laughs> Bloodsport broke a bar, and now Team Gruff are broke at a bar. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, this this really, if we saw the kind of reliability that we typically associate with Gruff, this would have absolutely been Gruff's match. Um, but it's it's these drive kind of issues that they've that they've been grappling with in 2020 that really spelled doom for, for this match. Mm. But I mean, if, if we saw two lifting forks and they were working great and the bot was really zippy, we kind of saw that tombstone 
esque performance where you know they're lifting Bloodsport up, this would have been another massive, massive upset. So my hope is that Sam and his team can uh, can go back and work on the reliability of that bot uh, for 2021. All right, on over two, Fusion versus Tantrum. This is a punishing match for two unconventional robots. Tantrum managed to land a few well-placed punches with its spinner, killing Fusion's horizontal disc before getting under Fusion and parading it around like a hat. On top of Tantrum, with no way to get down, one of Fusion's electronic speed controllers caught fire and ultimately led to the countout. There was some pretty big damage on Tantrum 2, who ended up knocking its weapon off of its track. However, Tantrum earns the knockout in two minutes and 30 seconds and advances in the championship. Your thoughts on this fight? I really loved uh, the first thing that Lindsay said after this match uh, about... Oh, why don't you go ahead and tell it? <laughs> well, you know, this bot fusion always resembled to me the type of uh, fireworks tent that pops up, you know, at the end of June, right before July 4th, and they sell sparklers, but not the good stuff, at least here in New York, because you're not allowed to. Um, but, it, you know, it just says, like, GNT, and, and it has lots of boom boom pictures all around. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, you know, it, it's fitting for that fashion, uh, for 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 fusion to go out in that fashion because it just looked like one of those firework tents going up in flames. Mm, mm, good. Yeah. Like the, the, the paint job, it, it looks like it should yeah. be selling fireworks and in, inside of a Walmart parking lot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and complete with the boom, which I had to ask Chris, like, was that uh, added in post like that actual boom explosion noise? And I don't know the answer, but I would like to believe that it was real. It was mm -hmm. like Tantrum casted a very tiny fireball spell at the yeah. very end of the match. <laughs> and finally, uh, let's talk about Scorpios versus Witch Doctor, our final match of the night. Fresh off of its win against Slamo, Witch Doctor appeared to run the exact same configuration in this match with the same weapon discs cut by Team Chomp. While Scorpios entered with a heavy, heavy wedge designed to high center Witch Doctor and pull its front wheels off of the ground. However, an early hit in this match bent Scorpios's sector gear and pinched the V-belt that spins the bot's blade, killing the spinning weapon. That said, we saw good driving from both teams, with Witch Doctor driver Mike Lately landing a big hit to the side of Scorpios at one point, and Scorpios flipping Watch Doctor at another. The Witch Doctor ran perfectly throughout this match, which went to the judges, who awarded a unanimous decision to the team. Your thoughts on this final match of the night? We, we've seen a lot of bots in so far in the top 32, bottom-seeded bots taking out their higher-seeded rivals, which I think is really interesting. Um, and, you know, like tonight we saw, we saw the number three-seeded bot go home. And, um, and like, you know, in this case, Witch Doctor lower-seeded and, and took out Scorpios. Like, really, the seeding doesn't, doesn't matter nearly as much this season as it may have in previous seasons. I don't know. That was, that was my big takeaway for the, yeah. the match. No, it was a good one. It was a good takeaway. This entire match was sad because I hated to see the Scorpio story end. Hmm. Um, but I also think it is going to be, it is going to show why Scorpios is the most durable of the top down attack bots. 
but I'm fairly certain it's also going to show why Jameson is the most variable and most modular of those bots. It's going to just being a hard wall for Witch Doctor to hit is not an effective strategy against them. They will chew at you until they find something to bite. Hmm. And, um, you know, that is what Scorpios is good at. It is good at being a big, thick plow. And that's just not super effective against Witch Doctor, who we've seen, you know, toss bots 15 feet in the air just by hitting them. So a bad matchup for Scorpios. They are made to go against um, they're made to go against bots that dish out big hits and damage themselves by doing that. And that's not Witch Doctor. It is interesting that we're going to see um, uh, Witch Doctor take on Sableys and they just took on Scorpios. I think that if we see two wins in a row, um, you know, clearly Witch Doctor is is on a tear and it is ascending rapidly in this championship. Um, you know, like I, I, I have pinned Witch Doctor to win um, this coming week, but we're going to have to see if they can do it again. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really interesting that they had to take on both of the Sawbots, like one right after the other. Hmm. Have uh, have we all made our decision as to at this point who we think is going to take home the giant nut? No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm not nearly smart enough for that. I I can't. No, that's there's Listen, too many variables. I'm going to say it, and they're just going to get eliminated first thing on Thursday. They're not. Even, they're not even going to air the match. They're going to be like, "Listen, Kyle, you predicted <laughs> that this guy was going to win the giant nut. We're not even going to air the match because it was boring. They got completely destroyed in 40 seconds. Moving on." <laughs> oh, good point. All right. Well, I'm going to say what I think. <laughs> I'm going to make up my mind halfway through the last match of the season. Very <laughs> <laughs> reasonable. It is kind of cool though because I I feel like in la in past seasons it's been bite forces to lose and mm -hmm. calling it for anybody else is kind of a crapshoot but it's kind of as much as we all miss bite force it, it's kind of fun having you know one season where it, it's kind of literally anybody's game at this point. Yeah, yeah. I I really miss Paul Ventimiglia and Bite Force because I feel like. Like there, there's, I hate to use this phrase, but like, there's always going to be this question. There's not, maybe not a full asterisk, but there's always going to be this question of, well, you know, sure. That person took on the giant nut in 2020, but wait until they, they face bite force. My hope, my like prayer is that the very first match of 2021, we see Bite Force take on the giant nut winner from 2020. And so that we can just kind of squash this. Cause I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, it's going to be a subject of speculation after the end of the, the season. And just like knowing that Bite Force is somewhere in the field waiting for you, you know, that, that, you know, it, it, it adds a special element that I think is missing from this season. I mean, there's so many matchups with bots now that I want to see Bite Force take. Like, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what Bite Force could do against an uppercut. Hmm. Right? Like that. It's just a bad matchup for them, and that I don't think Bite Force has ever faced anybody that powerful, with the possible exception of Endgame. But that was when Endgame did not even know how to do a low ground. 
You know, uh-huh. like they had their wedge a good three quarters of an inch above the floor, and Pipe Force just ripped them to shreds. Even though Endgame's weapon was way more powerful, just because they won the low ground. The low ground does not matter when you are uppercut. Like it doesn't matter. They their reach is so far, and their weapon is so powerful, and you're getting hit at the biggest moment of impact possible. Kyle, I don't know what do. counterpoint to that 2019 episode 15 bite force versus uppercut bite force earned the knockout in 57 seconds yeah that was that uppercut this is a very different uppercut yeah i mean sure it's more powerful but th- this this is what i mean like you can take the craziest robot you can take an uppercut and just like literally, it's the asterisk next to it. Just put it up against Bite Force. Let's see. Put up Bite Force against Hydra, Bite Force against, you know, Copperhead, whatever it is, you know, Bite Force against Bloodsport, the match that Lindsay really wants to see, you know? Yeah. And somehow, somehow, Bite Force just comes out on top every single time. And like, I think that that's so cool. It's an element that's missing, and I think like this season is just a bit more chaotic because of it. Yeah. Because you really just have no idea this robot that is rising very quickly, but they're like winning because their opponents like didn't fix their robot correctly, or there was like some kind of malfunction. Um, but you know you're not going to get that in Bite Force. You know you're going to get peak Bite Force every single time. Yeah, hundred percent Bite Force every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I will say Bite Force better be really prepared next season because there are so many matchups that the selection committee is going to want to see. Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned all of them, right? Hydra, Bloodsport. Uh, I think everybody's going to want an uppercut rematch. There's yeah. so many just top-tier fights that you're going to want to see. Plus, you know they're going to have to fight Hypershock again. That just happens every year. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's not going to be an easy season for them. Paul and the team better be ready if they come back with Bite Force because that's, that's going to be a rough way to qualify for the tournament. Oh, you want you want the vertical spinner Bite Force? No, no we've retired that. We're, we're coming back with the new flipper Bite Force. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, gang. They would have to rename it at that point. There is no way BattleBots is going to let them get away with having another chameleon robot that starts as one thing and comes back as another. You know, they let Paul get away with that. They let Donald get away with that. I don't think they're going to let anybody else get away with that. They wouldn't let Scorpios get away with that. True. And that's it for this week's predictions, news, and 2020 championship recap. After the break, our interview with Copperhead Captain Zach Goff. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Copperhead Captain Zach Goff. Zach began building and fighting combat robots in high school in Texas and competed on the local circuit with bots Fluffy Winkles, 451, Mean Green Fighting Machine, Electric Yard Gnome Supremacy, and UnMakerBot, before appearing on the 2016 season of BattleBots with a scaled-up version of UnMakerBot called Poison Arrow. In 2018, he appeared on the short-lived Chinese show ClashBots and returned to BattleBots in 2019 with a new and improved drum spinner called Copperhead. This year, Copperhead went undefeated in the qualifying rounds, beating Gigabyte, P1, and Black Dragon, and earning the number three seed in the round of 32. 
We're catching up with Zach the week after the team's narrow split decision loss to Mammoth. We're looking forward to learning more about Zach, his bot, and his team in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Zach. Hi, Luke. Thanks for having me. I am so stoked that uh, that we're, we're able to connect. Copperhead is hands down one of our favorite robots, and um, being able to learn more about how the bot works and your history in the sport is um, is a real treat for us. Um, I I definitely want to congratulate you on a, on a really successful season in 2020. Um, it was great to see kind of the rise of the bot in 2019 and going undefeated in, in 2020 with some of the the most memorable matches of the year. Um, and I definitely want to get into that. Um, but first, I'd love to start chronologically, kind of go back in time and learn about your introduction to combat robots. Um, so were you a BattleBots fan like as a kid? Can you talk us through like how you learned that battle, like combat robotics was a thing and how you first got involved? Yeah, like a lot of us. Uh, back in the middle school era, watching Comedy Central BattleBots and just got absolutely obsessed with it. Um, was always active in a lot of clubs and activities. And so managed to find out that there was a local event uh, called Swark back in Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in the day. Um, went to a couple of events, a couple of meetups, and uh, yeah, just kind of started tinkering with uh build my own stuff uh you know it started out with just uh putting together like rc tamiya uh kit parts trying to cobble something together you know took to the first event gets completely obliterated as always um i think russ borrow team dark forces uh what was it dark micro 44 i think yeah yeah those those are pretty uh pretty well-known bots for some of the people from a few years ago uh just completely annihilated me but uh yeah uh, got into it and uh, just started working my way up the, the weight scales and complexity and, and competitiveness. Yeah. Um, so your first matches, was that middle school or, or high school? You know, like how old were you when you were kind of building your first combat robots, your ant weights, your beetle weights, that, that kind of, you know, weight, yeah. Weight. yeah, I think so. I was a freshman in band at the time um and then i found robots and i was like this is way cooler than playing a trombone so <laughs> quit marching band and uh started doing robots i think sophomore year um yeah. uh, you know th there was there was the high school robotics programs obviously that i got involved with and there was also the the fighting robots stuff the combat robots inspired by uh battle bots of course and robot wars um so yeah, yeah, that was that was about it. And you know, back then it was a lot of reading up on people's forums, Delphi forums, good stuff. Um, just trying to figure out how people were cobbling these things together and trying to do it as cheaply as possible. Because I'm just a middle school kid with a, you know a little bit of saved up uh, allowance income, um, and yeah, just putting yeah. together goofy things. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that that's a, like a really big step up to robo games you know like were you going to robo games as a high schooler or was that after college yeah so that was i think junior senior year of high school um i met casey coons who's you know pretty well known in, in the in the group um through a welding course we were at different high schools but there was a uh, a joint um dale jackson was the the name of the place it was like a joint um uh, welding 
course that we got bus to. Uh, met up in that, and uh, yeah, just was like, I like robots, and I'm taking welding to learn how to build big robots. And hmm. Casey was like, I like robots, and I'm taking welding to learn how to build big robots. And so uh, that that was kind of the start of a, a lifetime friendship. You know, we we are still uh, very closely uh, in touch and friend, close friends. Um, so that's yeah, kind of a cool story. But uh, that's that's. You know, those high school years is when we decide, okay, we need to we need to step it up from these little insect robots and and go go do the big stuff. You know, the things that everyone uh, you know is watching on TV. Granted, by that time, BattleBots I think was off air when we first decided to do our joint project together. I think Casey um, had, had tried to go to BattleBots with a, a different machine with uh, another person, but uh, yeah, we. We were so bummed that BattleBots got canceled, so we're like, "Well, let's do the next best thing, uh, RoboGames," and and that was just an awesome event. Uh, I miss it so much. It's got a different feel from the TV show and recording. There's just a lot less stress. It's a little more pure, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, just a different, different, different feeling. Um, a lot less of a intense schedule. Um, and, and competitiveness, you know, a lot of people could just show up and have fun, or you could be as competitive as you wanted. So it was a good time. Plus, they had you know, all sorts of other stuff going. Um, in addition to the fighting robots, it was kind of a big old convention center of technology robot themed stuff. So it's definitely missed. Has left a hole in the in the sport. Yeah. Tell tell me more about your your robots at Robo Games. What what did you and Casey build for that competition? Yeah. So we we. I've been obsessed with drums, I guess, for pretty much my whole robot career. Um, so we decided to build, uh, at the time it was Mean Green Fighting Machine, uh, which was a middleweight. And it was a drum robot. You know, we had the, we, we, the, the, the cool thing about it was we tried to put the weapon motors inside the drum. Mm. Terrible idea. Um, but... We thought it would be really cool because, you know, at the time we're using lead acid batteries. You don't have a lot of weight. So, like, this will save us a bunch of weight. Put all this mass in the drum and it'll be super effective. And it was, you know. Uh, it was, like, two big old D-packs. Just monster motors um, in inside the middle of the drum. It was a really complicated little assembly. And, of course, we have no machining skills or abilities. You know, I think we were routing some plastic spacers on a friggin' drill press like you're not mm. supposed to do. Uh, probably bled a little bit for that, <laughs> but uh, you know we, we cobbled it together, and you know it, it spun up. It was it was pretty terrifying. Um, problem was that our our tolerances were so awful that you know as soon as it hit something, uh, I think one of the shafts on on one of the D packs broke, and it was pretty much a one hit wonder. Uh, so yeah, uh, showed up to Robo Games with it, uh, threw it in for our first match, got a glorious hit and then of course it died and got pushed around the whole whole rest of the, the event so <laughs> i think uh i think we ended up smoking our our controllers which as two high school kids are very expensive mm-hmm. um and uh pretty much destroyed you know several years of life savings of you know high school kids uh, <laughs> bad time bad time but you know learned a ton um and you know learn how to deal with defeat always you know it's a good good thing in any sport is you learn how to, to to accept defeat um responsibly and 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 chivalrously um so yeah i ended up just i think uh wandering out of the building all dejected to the beach and just kind of stared at the ocean uh <laughs> this is a good way to good way to calm yourself down after a big 
big loss like that, you know, at the time it was, it was our world. So, but you know, it didn't, 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 it, it didn't turn us off. So it just re kind of rekindled the fire of, okay, now we got to do better next time. So um, I think we, that was, that was kind of the end of the high school years though. So we, we both took a break from robots for a few years for college. Um, Cause that was a whole, you know, change life changing experience, but uh, got back into robots kind of after graduation and, you know, had, have all this free time on your hands cause you're working a job and it's like, well, might as well get back into it and see what happens. And yeah, just kind of took off from there again. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're pretty active in putting on events, right? Like local insect bait events and, and going to them and <clears throat> kind of like, um, like helping build the community right near you is, is, is if, if I'm understanding that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Casey's really more the, the spearhead behind all that. He's, he's definitely the community builder and I, I try and support him as much as possible. So we, uh, we got the old toad tank from Fuzzy and mm. uh, drove it from Matt Maxim's yard uh, out in what was it, Arizona or California or over there. Um, and, uh, you know, completely refurbished it, sandblasted it, modified it, repainted it, um, you know, new floor sections and had a nice 12 pound arena going for a while. Um, and hopefully once, once this whole COVID mess is over, we can start hosting some local events again. Uh, but yeah, yeah, kind of a nice little, you know, Rocky Mountain uh, uh, events thing going on. Um, it was enjoyable to have a local community to be a part of and support and hang out with. So we'll, we'll bring that back eventually, I think, um, once once this COVID mess is kind of under control. Yeah. Um, fast forward a couple of years. So it's, it's now 2016. BattleBots has returned to ABC the year before. Um, you and Casey get together, you're starting to talk about going on your kind of, um, childhood favorite show, you know, um, what was that process like, you know, was it easy to make the decision that you were going to build a drum spinner for 2016? You know, how was the application initially to BattleBots? Can you kind of take us back to that year? Yeah, absolutely. So right before BattleBots came back, I was competing with UnmakerBot, which I think at the time had two tournament wins you know 60 pound drum spinner um it was it's the most successful bot i've built so far um and so we're like yeah we have to do battle bots and we just have to take this which works and just scale it up um and maybe fix some of the issues that it had so uh when you know application season two i think is when we we the applications were open to everyone um you didn't have to have like a personal connection with greg somehow um, so yeah, managed to, managed to get accepted and, you know, man, it was, that was a crazy time. That was, that was like a lifelong dream, childhood dream come true. You know, it's something that you've kind of always wanted to, to do. Um, and, and you finally get that opportunity and we only had like eight or 10 weeks, I think, to, to put it together. So it was like 10 weeks of, you know, four hours of sleep a night, just, crushing you know trying to get this thing put together uh in the middle of it i ended up having to move from texas to colorado for a job so just, just an insane whirlwind of activity um and you know, it, it was rushed it definitely was um we, we managed to get it all together though it mostly worked um obviously had some issues with the drum spin up because we went all brushless and as everyone knows brushless is finicky 
Uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, about uh, the mammoth fight too. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was, you know, it was, it was like that robot that was almost, almost perfect for season two. I think if we had the drum figured out, um, the outcome and of our performance in season two would have been a lot more impressive than it was. Um, but, you know, always frustrating. So to, to not have that perfectly dialed in robot. Um, and that was the end of the BattleBots run on ABC. And we thought, okay, that's it. BattleBots is never coming back. Um, but uh, somehow ClashBots uh, decided to pop up onto the scene. Um, there's a couple of Chinese ones, but we went with ClashBots. They, uh, they were backed by Aichi which if you do a little research about ITE is basically the Netflix of China. And oh my gosh, I'm sure, I'm sure you've had some people on before that talked about their experience with ClashBots, but it was just the most intense high production value uh, mm. robot show ever. Um, the budget for the season that we filmed was like $30 million. Wow. 30 million US dollars. Yeah. Granted, probably more than half of that went to the celebrities that they hired to, to run the show. I mean, some nobody really knows them in, in America, but over in China, like these are well, well-known people, you know, um, very, very easy to identify. And, you know, we were walking around in like uh, malls um, in China and Beijing and we're like, oh, that's a cardboard cutout of our, uh, of our team celebrity. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, this, this guy is known. So yeah, yeah Clash Bots, I mean, that was, that was the most fun that I never want to have again. I <laughs> want <laughs> to, um, I want to ask you so many questions about ClashBots. I feel like um, it's such a mysterious show. Uh, and so every single time I have a builder who's, who went on ClashBots, I cherish it. Um, I cherish all of the information that I, I hear about it. Um, but I just had a couple of listener questions um, about Poison Arrow because it had a lot of fans. Um, the first one is kind of a weird question. I wasn't aware of this, so tell me if Clepton is wrong. Clepton Gilroy asks, were you saddened to hear that Poison Arrow died in a tragic warehouse fire? Is that true? Like what, what? happened? Yeah, is this... <laughs> Does, I I had not heard of that actually. No, is that <laughs> is that a rumor going around? I I guess so. I guess so. You know, so I Poison Arrow assumed... is, is alive and well. Is that is that what you're saying? No, I don't. I don't think it's alive and well. I I assume that they just scrapped it. They probably threw it in a dumpster for a tax write-off purpose for the show. Because um, that show's not getting renewed. Uh, it's never coming back. They spent way too much money and probably didn't get the return that they needed to to make it commercially viable. So it was it was fun to be a part of when it lasted, um, and you know we got we got paid handsomely to be there and to do our thing. Um, you know it's interesting working with the Chinese; it's always negotiation. Mm. Uh, so I, I think we were a little bit better at negotiating some some good terms, at least some um, financially beneficial terms that maybe some of the other teams didn't. Um, so while it was incredibly frustrating at times. Um, we got paid to be there, so <laughs> we did right. all. Yeah, so so I guess that's that's kind of the big thing, right, about ClashBots. So at the end of the show, they purchased all the robots, basically, right? So they held on to dozens and dozens of actual combat robots that are staying in the country. Is that right? Yep, yep. Um, but it was in the contract that they would own the robots, the physical robots. Um, and so if you weren't comfortable... Uh, with that transaction, then you, 
probably shouldn't have participated and built a robot for it. You know, if you weren't going to get get the money out of the show for for what you put into it, then you know it it would not have been wise to attend. Um, mm. And I think some some builders that probably have a lot of uh, that that were upset with the show um, were just used to every other show. You get to keep the hardware, um, right. and the show keeps keeps the the image rights whereas this was show owns it all so you just had to it was in the contract from the from the start and you just had to be uh prepared and accept that so hmm. i i don't have any ill feelings if you know it ended up in a warehouse fire they dumped it off the dock into the ocean it was <laughs> uh it's kind of in the contract of their right to do so yeah well maybe maybe clepton knows something we don't know so uh Absolutely. we'll all have to reach out to him and ask. Um, a couple more questions about Poison Arrow. Uh, this one's from Matthew Cahoy, who asks, what was the reasoning for retiring the Poison Arrow name? Was there a reason that you've gone to the two-wheel drive on Copperhead versus the four-wheel drive of Poison Arrow? Kind of a two-in-one question. Yeah. Um, new robot, new name. Poison Arrow was also kind of named after a sponsor that didn't renew for the next season. So we're like, eh, we'll drop it then um and do something different um and then yeah copperhead was just kind of the next iteration on the the concept to try and solve some of the failures that poison arrow had and some of the losses that it uh, suffered um so you know the, the two-wheel drive thing is so that we can have those floor scraping forks because mm. we kept on losing the wedges because mm. the drum you know it doesn't kind of gets deflected by wedges pretty easily so we wanted we wanted a real good low game. Um, so the it's basically just a giant uh, uh, wedgelet. You know, the whole robot's its own wedgelet. So yeah, that was that was that was the reason for going two wheel drive. I think you know I, I really love um, um, what is um, Lockjaw the way he he does his forks. Mm. But I'm I'm such a a, uh, a simple. Um, you know, I, I appreciate simplicity in design too much to be able to tackle something that complicated, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a really effective design. And uh, if, if Donald could ever, ever get his motors to stop smoking, it would be extremely competitive. Yeah. Because it, it definitely wins the ground game like constantly. Um, and I like how his tires, he kind of deflates them so they're, they're super grippy, um, and 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 it kind of helps with the ride of the forks on the ground. So they're, you know, absorbing the the imperfections in the floor with those tires. They're not bouncing around like we we kind of bounce over the floors, but he just kind of absorbs and rolls over them. So yeah, it's it's a great machine. Um, uh, I think I think that's got a lot of that that style has a lot of promise. If if you have the tweak, you know, keep the motors from burning up. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the sport is moving toward a two wheel drive design as kind of like the new meta, you know, is four wheel drive kind of just not nimble enough in the box? Can it still be effective? You think in the, in the future? Oh, absolutely. Actually, I, I, I think four wheel drive is probably a little bit better in a lot of ways than two wheel. Two wheel is nice and simple and we get our floor scraping wedges. Um, but four-wheel drive is nice because you've got a really wide wheelbase over both the width and the length of the robot. So it kind of helps you from tilting up as much. You know, I noticed between Unmakerbot and uh, Copperhead, so Unmakerbot was a four-wheel drive, Copperhead is two. 
Uh, and MakerBot was a lot more stable. It didn't uh, tend to gyro or tip as easily. Um, and I kind of attribute that to the four-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, Spencer Sahu has a hypothetical question. Poison Arrow driven by Zach versus Copperhead driven by Robert Cowan. Who would win? <laughs> well, I think Copperhead would win. Uh, it's it's probably the superior machine, to be honest, in, mm. in that kind of a matchup. Um, but, you know, Copperhead's had a lot of... Uh, a lot of issues with drive motors breaking down. So I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe Copperhead would, uh, out or, uh, Poison Arrow would, uh, outlast Copperhead in a head to head. So tough to hmm. say. Yeah. yeah. Depends on who breaks first. Right. Um, I had a couple of questions about, about clash bots. Uh, we've heard to it. Uh, we've heard it referred to as KFC death camps. Uh, I think just, uh, in reference to KFC being a major sponsor of clash bots and apparently there being a lot of, kfc free kfc like everywhere um it's kind of funny it's like clash bots is kind of like the elephant in the room with the lights off and you just kind of like ask uh one builder you know tell me a little bit about your experience and they're explaining you know what the leg feels like and stuff you know um i'd, I'd love to i'd love to like get your your take on the uh, elephant in the darkened room i guess you know um so how did you first learn about clash bots did they reach out to you um how did you decide to go with clash bots versus king of bots or one of the other kind of international shows um can you just kind of tell us uh, like all of your prep before you got on the plane and flew to china yeah um so we were contacted by our handler and producer Susie. uh she was uh one of the junior directors of the show um, and she ran, she was in charge of a few other teams as well. Um, you know, super, just incredibly um, hardworking person. And, and that in Chinese culture, like everyone is insanely hardworking. Um, that's just the culture there, especially when you get to, you know, higher levels of income and, you know, job, um, you, know, high, you know, higher levels of jobs. Um so yeah, she, she contacted us and she worked with us really well. Um, apparently she was not well liked by most of the rest of the production crew. Uh, she could be very, very demanding, but she was always super, super nice to us. I guess, I guess that was her job, but though, um, so interesting dynamics. Um, and yeah, they were just, you know, we had some negotiation back and forth, you know, they wanted like, they were only going to offer like $20,000 for the robot. And we're like, we've got way more in it than that. And if you're going to own it, you're going to have to pay for it. And they agreed. So that was that. Um, and we're like, well, BattleBots is off the air, so might as well do this. And you know, doing a little research on on ClashBots and the fact that they were backed by Aichi, the Netflix of China, they obviously had had the funds and could could pay for it. I know a lot of people that went to uh, King of Bots had issues getting payments. Right. Uh, Never had that issue with clash bots. There were some weird uh, situations, I think, because uh, they, they staged the payments in, in different ways, especially your performance-based payments for, like, winning certain fights. Uh, and I think the first time that we won, uh, you know, we're, and, and getting paid out, they, they invited all of us that advanced in the competition to this, you know, big old extravagant kind of like a gambling room almost. And, you know, the head producers sitting at the, you know, the, the mafia chair the head of the table and you know he's got his little helpers that come in rank and file with like 
thick, fat envelopes of cash. They're <laughs> 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 just handing them out to everyone. And we're like, what the heck are we supposed to do with this? Because there's there's uh, export restrictions in China. You can't just take money out of the country. Like they have very strict capital controls because they don't want their 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 money leaving the country. They don't want their wealth uh, leaving the country like we do in the United States. We import so much. China wants to make everything for itself and the world. Um, so we're like, what? How are we gonna get this back to you know the U.S. Um, uh, we just, we ended up, uh, uh, kind of, uh, we, yeah, we basically, we, we, we laundered money essentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God this is a very unpopular podcast. You know, there's nobody from the uh, IRS. Yeah. Listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the IRS. Like everything was declared, you know, on my taxes in yeah. accordance yeah. with the IRS's laws. It was getting the money out of China um, yeah. and yeah. not. And not violating the Chinese uh, capital controls restrictions. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it was bizarre. I, I'm <laughs> we're thinking about all these ways to like, okay, can we convert this into like gems and then hide those right. in right. robot somehow? Mm. And we even had like a contact with a, some guy that specialized with you know wealthy Chinese people and moving money out of the country. Um, and we we're like, okay, how are we going to do this? <laughs> yeah, it was a it was an interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. Um, okay, uh, I we we read this long, long kind of like exhaustive, uh, uh, like retrospective from um, Josh Coates, Sidewinder Captain Josh Coates, um, and he like described really long hours at taping, kind of like um, like so much KFC you couldn't look at chicken ever again, you know, like kind of <laughs> sketchy safety stuff, like rule changes in the middle of the show. How much of that is accurate? You know, like how much of that did you see? Like, can you kind of talk us through what the experience was like on the ground for, from your perspective? All of it, everything Josh said was accurate. Uh, <laughs> I think it's been enough time that I've kind of uh, uh, sub subdued those memories and, and only focused on the happy times. But yeah, yeah, it was intense. Um, you know, we were getting like four hours of sleep a night. Um, and yeah, it was just chicken nonstop. We stopped eating the chicken after a while and just ate what the crew ate, um, which was these little cheap bento boxes uh, full of, you know, mostly rice and a little bit of pork and, you know, some vegetables and stuff. Um, yeah, God, every time I went there, I got sick because the sanitation conditions were terrible. Like mm. no soap in the bathrooms. Um, you know, no, you know, running water was hard to come by in some cases. Um, and, and you were just up and constantly grinding that your immune system was so incredibly repressed. Every, every time I came back, I was sick. So, and I probably lost about 10 pounds over the, you know, month and a half that filming occurred. Um, just because every single trip is like, get sick, lose weight and, come back, try and heal up for the next round. So, uh, yeah, yeah, all, all true, all true. Wow. I just don't try not to focus on it too much. <laughs> um, so I guess the big question is, uh, if Clashbots comes back and they, they want to do Poison Arrow 2.0, uh, what, what would you say? I'd probably do it. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I'd um, do it. <laughs> I, and, and there's no other show that's had nearly the amount of production um, quality and, and budget. So it was just an amazing spectacle to kind of be part of. Mm. Uh, but, you know, very, very intense and difficult to, 
to be part of it, but also very, in, in some ways, rewarding. Um, you know, they obviously didn't understand the robots and how much time it takes to turn them around, repairs for the next, you know, fight that they wanted to film. So they, they'd have robots trying to fight, you know, three times in a day. So, of course, that's going to be a you know 20-hour day to try and make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, when, when you say production value, I, I feel like, King of Bots has a pretty high production value with its like giant Gundam and it's like, you know, lighted tables and stuff like that. You know, you're saying Clash Bots was like higher production value than King of Bots. Yes, absolutely. They had a much mm. higher uh, budget. Um, it, I don't think it came across on camera as much. Uh, I think King of Bots did a better job with the staging and, and some of the uh, um, accessories that they had going on. But, but Clash Bots definitely had a much bigger budget. Um, they had, you know, multiple stages. So there was the, the pits stage and then there was the event stage. And then there were secondary stages that they would bus us out to, um, God, it was like this old abandoned industrial complex where they, you know, steel used to get smelted. Um, and they, they turned it into like a robot fighting, uh, arena, essentially an outdoor slash indoor and, 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 you know, I mean, the, the complex is just massive. You look at it on a map and it just goes for, you know, miles. And we're in this tiny little portion of it. And, you know, they're, they're trying to keep us corralled, but, you know, I, I, I have to go explore a little bit, right? So we ended up just, you know, crawling off into these, these giant uh, steel smelting furnaces. And it's just, you know, it's, I can't even, it's so hard to describe, like, just the, mm. the scale of it. It was, it was, it, kind of mind-boggling and it, it doesn't come through the camera but it is just the amount of of set design and and everything that they put into it was obviously very expensive um so yeah so uh 2018 Clashbots goes on the air uh you've flown home you've survived uh and you know poison arrow is is now in china um, and BattleBots comes back. Now it's on Discovery Channel. And you are thinking, I'm going to build a new robot. I'm going to make it a drum design. You know, I'm going to call it something new. Um, tell me more about your 2019 season. I mean, Copperhead faced some really, really tough competitors in that season. Um, I, I want to actually ask you specifically about two competitors. Um, first, Kronos. Um, I, I was thinking about Kronos just a couple weeks ago because Bloodsport, like, barely survived their match with Kronos. And then I was thinking about your fight with Kronos, which was like super destructive. And I'm thinking to myself, like, are, is everybody sleeping on Kronos? Like, is Kronos actually like a like a really destructive robot? You know, like is Jerry Seraphin like actually built something pretty cool that we just don't really pay that much attention to on the show? Like, can you tell me more about your thoughts about Kronos? Yeah, I keep hoping that someone's gonna do the ring spinner Right, because that fixes the, the the one problem that all full body spinners have right now, which is they don't like to be upside down. Mm. Um, I'll say that I think Kronos twenty nineteen was better than this year's. So he tried to go brushless this year, mm. um, and that's always a challenge. So he was he was struggling hard with the brushless setup this year. Um, last year's Kronos was definitely a little more uh, terrifying. I mean, our, our Kronos fight from 2019, they got a really lucky hit on us, let's be honest. Um, they hit just dead nuts on that inner fork rail. 
um, and split that out. And we had some manufacturing defects um, that allowed the frame rail to split like that. So the bolt that holds the drum assembly together, um, the threads that were machined into the end of the drum that that bolt screws into were oversized. Plus it wasn't hardened. Uh, sh the shaft wasn't hardened all the way through. So the, the threads were actually really soft and gummy. So it just ripped right out. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's kind of what allowed the frame to split like that. Otherwise he probably wouldn't have split the frame rail. Although he probably would have broken something else. Um, you know, the, the, the drive motor situation on Copperhead has been frustrating. Um, <clears throat> we thought we had it figured out for this year, but I think you saw a couple matches where it was having some issues still. Um, yeah. Mainly the Copperhead is such a small, compact robot, and it's so dense, and it's so stiff and rigid. There's just zero compliance in the frame. So, you know, everyone's trying to build these super compact spinners, um, because it allows you to have that thicker armor and be more structurally, mechanically stout. Problem is, uh, there's no compliance. So any sort of shock loads, if you don't have your internals uh, shock mounted well enough, that, that shock load just gets transferred into the guts of the robot and can tear all sorts of stuff up, you know, speed controllers, motors, magnets. So, yeah, that's that's been the, the learning curve with Copperhead. It's just such a much more dense and uh, rigid machine that um, it it came as a bit of a surprise the, the shock loads that it's imparting to the guts of the robot. So still still working out how to how to uh, battle harden everything on the inside. I think we got the outside the, the structure sorted out now. It's it's taken some serious blows and dealt some massive hits, but uh, needs needs a little more work on the the internals and the guts. Mm. Uh, you later had an exhibition match with Sal, um, and we have a question about that match from Tom Brisborne, who asks, when you had the call-up to fight Sal in a 2019 play-in match, was it true that you were in a bar at the time? If so, how much had you drunk? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we thought our season was over, so, you know, in, in typical team fashion, we go to the bar and start drinking. And uh, yeah, I think I was only like two, two in, but you know, this is after a day of having eaten almost nothing and I'm not a heavy drinker anyways. So yeah, I was, I was feeling pretty good when we showed up. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it kind of helped maybe, I don't know, <laughs> loosen you up, make, make, make you not so twitchy on the sticks. Yeah. Um, switching over to, to 2020 Copperhead, you know, cosmetically the bot looks very similar to 2019 Copperhead. Um, but what upgrades did you make in the season between 2019 to 2020? So 2020 was just fixing all the little problems that caused us to malfunction or lose a match. And Rob's got a really good video recapping everything, but it was basically trying to address everything that failed. So, you know, the drum, we got the spin-up time down. We were at like eight seconds, and now we're at four. And that was just a matter of sitting down with everything for a couple of days and tuning speed controllers. Um, so got that fixed up. Um, we had, we never lost a belt, but we always got nicked and nearly lost a belt. So we added a, a, a belt guard on the front of the robot so it's not exposed. Um, so that was new. Um see what else did the drive go brushless in between the two or was 2019 copperhead also brushless 
Uh, it's always been brushless, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, because uh, yeah, we had some issues with the drive, obviously, last year as well, 2019. Um, one of the, you know, the, uh, we had some screws back out um, because they weren't thread locked in, inside of the drivetrain, which bound everything up. So that was a failure. Um, we had, I think, two matches. We had a speed controller die because of shock impacts. So we battle hardened the guts of our speed controllers, just glued everything down. Um, and you know, it's people look at the big inductors on circuit boards, and those come off. But I mean, we were breaking off some of the little capacitors the surface mount capacitors were just turning into like grains of sand that would shake around in the, the box. And you're like, that's not supposed to sound like that. So it was just, you know, the things that you wouldn't expect to break. And usually most people don't, but just because Copperhead is so rigid, um, it was, it was causing problems in our implementation. You know, it's the same parts that everyone else uses. Um, just we hit so much harder and have such a more rigid machine that it, it puts a lot more stress on the, the components. Yeah. Um, th- this year you had one of the most memorable fights of the season with Gigabyte. You just decapitating this hundred and something pound shell off of the top of Gigabyte. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts about that fight and kind of watching it arena side, you know, watching this huge shell go flying up into the air, you know, um, can you, can you tell us more about your, your thoughts going into that match and what it was like um, watching it live? I always watch, love, love watching the, the fights after the fact, cause you never remember in the heat of the moment what it looked like. Mm. So yeah, that was a pretty spectacular uh, finish. Um, obviously it was a little frustrating to see Copperhead kind of flailing about there at the start of the match. Um, that was a, that was a speed controller issue. One of the motors and the speed controllers were not communicating and happy with each other. Um, don't know why, uh, we just swapped some around and another combination just magically worked. That's the dark arts of brushless. Uh, Mm. so yeah, fix that issue. Um, but yeah, the, the decapitation, you know, I, I wish we could take total credit for it, but I guess it's come out that uh, they were using the the Chinese uh, cast aluminum shaft that had failed on them in the tombstone fight, similar fashion. So it was kind of more of a, they weren't using the right parts. Hmm. Um, yeah. And they were also having some issues with drive too. I think they were still dealing, you know, new, new floor paint. I think this year kind of threw some folks off and it took them a little while to get dialed in. Um, and, you know, that was why gig make gigabyte was kind of skidding around all over the place. Um, yeah. Yeah. And no, it was a pretty spectacular finish. Yeah. And then, then you went into your fight with Brandon Zelensky and P one. I was curious, you know, when you were looking at that matchup, were you concerned at all about Copperhead riding up the, that, front of p1's wedge and and getting chucked you know or did you really think that you were going to have the kind of ground scraping that you needed to to win that fight yeah no p1 was exactly the type of machine that copperhead was designed for uh that nice wide wedge that we were pretty confident the forks would be able to to get under easily um so yeah we we were very happy with that draw and uh, obviously, it uh, turned out about how we expected. 
but you know you can never be too confident um anything can happen robots are pretty chaotic yeah um going into your match with black dragon uh alexander archer asks you mentioned earlier this season that you and the black dragon team have a bit of history can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah the warrior guys they uh back when we, me and casey were doing robo games they, they were coming out with their 60 pounder and we had our 60 pounder on MakerBot, and it seemed like every event we ended up in the finals together um and i would always manage to squeak out a victory uh, you know, I think one year I was in the, the winner's bracket and they were coming up to the loser's bracket. So they won round one because it was double elimination. We had to fight again. And then I just managed to, to eke out a, a win on round two. I think they they didn't have enough time to like fix everything. So their, their weapon was down for round two. So pretty easy to take advantage of them. Um, but yeah, it was, we always have these like super close matchups and they're always really entertaining because robots are flying through the air um god we've probably faced each other i want to say like a dozen times um someone someone on their team created a t-shirt with unmaker bot and uh, federal mt is the they're they're lightweight hmm. uh, fighting on it so they have there's a t-shirt <laughs> commemorating our our struggles together so mm -hmm. yeah, and they're 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 a great bunch of kids. Um, they, I mean, they they're one of the most successful teams down in Brazil, which Robot Combat's huge down there. I I feel guilty for not having gone down there for an event. I don't know of a lot of U.S. competitors that have, other than maybe like Kevin Barker. I think took K two down there once. Mm -hmm. So that'd be a cool that'd be a cool trip. Um, yeah, obviously can't do it now, but <laughs> someday. Yeah. Um, it looked like that that both robots in this match took a lot of damage. It was a really punishing fight. Um, how much damage did you take, and what were the repairs like as you were going into the top 32? So the only damage that Copperhead ended up taking was a drive motor. Mm. We had a magnet crack in it, um, and an end bell uh, kind of broke loose from the shaft and was spinning a bit on the shaft. So that's, that's why one of the drives was starting to act up in, in the fights. Um, about half, you know, half, maybe halfway through, I think our, our drum started to die. And that's just cause we cranked the settings to the max to get that four second spin up this year. So it tends to overheat really quick. Um, and, and what people don't know on the show, we actually got stuck together. And so they took about five or 10 minutes to pull the robots apart. And that got completely glossed over. Hmm. Uh, nobody noticed that on the show. They just edited that out. But honestly, if we didn't have like that five or 10 minutes to just sit there and cool down, they might've they might have been able to win it because I don't think our speed controller had enough time or that, I mean, that's, that's what allowed our speed controller enough time to cool down so we could run the drum some more. Um, you know, obviously their their weapon was down too, so it would have been close either way. But yeah, it was a it was a good fight. Um, I, that, that's probably the most proud match um, that I've had in in battle bots so far. That's really cool. Um, so this kind of catches us up to to last week. You uh, end the qualifying rounds undefeated. You're entering the top thirty two as the number three seed, and you see that you're matched up against Bamith. 
Um, first off, I, I want to ask about the size difference between these two robots and whether you think that that's a factor at all in this fight. You know, I've heard before that Copperhead's the smallest or maybe these uh, or among the smallest. I, I know that Tantrum's also pretty small. Do, do you know, like, <laughs> what the size difference is between you and Tantrum? Is, is there a bot that's smaller in, in the field this year? Not this year. I think Falcon was smaller last year. Mm. But this year, Copperhead... Uh pretty certain takes the cake i know we we kind of compared measurements with tantrum and ended up being a little bit smaller so yeah, yeah. It's, it's the most compact robot i don't know if that's necessarily a good thing though as uh the shock loads kind of show that it it hurts itself as much as it hurts the other robot mm. um but yeah the the size of mammoth it's such an awkward ungainly thing to go up against and you know they've they've got the other, you know they're so big that it's kind of a floppy robot. So they they kind of absorb the blows a lot better than a more small compact robot like say Black Dragon. So that's that's kind of where Copperhead's at its best is with the you know the medium to small size robots. The bigger robots, our drum is so so small and compact, it doesn't really have as much bite and reach to dig into a big old floppy robot like that. You know, huge would probably be a problem for us too, because it just kind of, bleh, you know, melts out of the way. Um, so it was, yeah, it was. We knew it could be a, a tough matchup. Um, I think I said on the show, like, this is our fight to lose. Um, and I think if the drum had kept going, it uh, would have turned out differently. Um, but uh, that was that was really my error. My that was all operator error. The drum going down. Um, so Mammoth was so big, he kind of the, the drum ground down to a halt on Mammoth, and then when we we broke loose, I'd try and get it to spin up again, but the, it's a brushless setup, so it's super sensitive, um, and it's kind of like feathering the clutch on a car. Uh, you can't just jam on it, otherwise you're going to stall it out. So in the heat of the moment, you know, I'm probably just jamming on it um, and not not bringing it up to speed delicately like you need to, because you kind of need to watch the drum, you know, get it at a low speed, give it a little juice, make sure it's spinning in the right direction, and then you can floor it. Um, but, you know, when you're dancing around Mammoth, it's it's hard to watch that. So lesson learned is probably needed like a, a weapon minder, having Rob um, tethered to the radio so that he could control the drum and and, you know, feather the clutch so to speak to get it up to speed uh we the, the drum wouldn't have been inactive for that middle third of the fight um and i think for the first portion of that dead time you know that's when i was jamming on it and when you when you're jamming on it and it's stalled out that's dumping tons of amps because the way these brushless motors work when they're at startup they don't know you know how to pulse the wires right so they just kind of throw a ton of energy into it and hope that it gets going in the right direction. So every time you try and start up from a dead stop, you're just dumping amps into it and that's overheating everything. Um, and so, you know, about halfway through that frustrating period that I couldn't get the thing working again, I just stopped. It's like, okay, I need to lay off of it. We'll just try and be aggressive, push mammoth around a little bit. Um, and, and then maybe, you know, a little bit later we can try and start the drum up again. Unfortunately, it came back, but apparently it wasn't enough to give the judge's decision to Copperhead. 
speaking of which, that's a good segue to a listener question from Benjamin Grossman. He actually has a couple of questions about the Mammoth match. Uh, he writes, I was shocked by the judge's decision for Mammoth in last week's episode. Did you have a conversation with the judges afterwards? If so, how did they justify their decision? Yeah, I wish they would do more like judges post-fight interviews to kind of explain the breakdown. So, you know, if you look at it objectively, I, I, I understand the reasoning. Um, so you've got three categories, you know, aggression, control, and damage. Uh, aggression, you know, is three points, and it has to be with an active weapon. So Mammoth's weapon was running the whole time, and they were using it, and it was having some effect on Copperhead. You know, we were getting pushed out of the way, flipped upside down. Um, so they, you know, they took the aggression category, but, you know, it wasn't all of them. So that's a, you know, a, a two-one split. Um, and then control, you know, same thing with control, you know, mammoth, mammoth controlled the fight for sure. Um, but there was times that Copperhead, you know, pushed mammoth around into the screws and kind of had control too. So, you know, the, another split category two one, um, the, where I would probably disagree with the outcome is in the damage category. Uh, you know, Copperhead tore off one of the tusks, bent another tusk. Um, one of the wheels on Mammoth was wobbling. Um, and you couldn't really see it on screen, but if you got up close, you could see like a lot of the ablative components on Mammoth had gotten pretty gnarled up. Um, so we, we did a fair amount of damage to Mammoth. And Copperhead basically sustained no damage. But from a judge's perspective, Copperhead's weapon went down for, you know, a third of the fight. Mm. So did Mammoth cause that? Was that damage inflicted by Mammoth upon Copperhead? You know, I would say no. It was my operator error. But from a judge's perspective, they don't know the intricacies of, you know, what it takes to get our drum up to speed. Uh, um so yeah, that's that's kind of the category that uh, I would uh, argue with. So I think the the final score on that was Copperhead won the damage three to two, and then the other categories being two to one. You know, you have basically a one point difference in favor of Mammoth, and that one point was uh, what the difference was between um, you know the, the judges. I think Lisa gave copperhead the win and the other mm -hmm. split position was the other other two so yeah that's uh that's that's kind of the objective way to break it down um and i think you'll read comments online you know most of the audience they kind of felt that mammoth dominated the fight and battle bots is really more about damage so there's a little more to it than just dominating a fight but uh you know i think from a from an audience perspective, it was the right call, um, and I'm 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 glad for the show that you know unique robots like Mammoth have a path to success, um, and you know there are more unique outcomes to a fight than just two robots tearing each other apart. So I think it, I think it's good for the sport to have some diversity in outcome. Um, you know that said, you know thousands of hours and tens of thousands of dollars kind of just got put on the sideline <laughs> all that effort for a split judge's decision that I kind of disagreed with, but you know, it is what it is. If you don't, if you don't, as they say, if you don't want to leave it to the judges, you know, you got to get the knockout to be certain. Um, okay. So Benjamin Grossman has a follow-up. What more could Copperhead have done to secure the win against Mammoth? 
yeah, I think we kind of covered that. So have a have a drum tender that just Rob's only role is to get the drum up to speed. I think that would have solved it. Easy. Yeah. Alexander Archer asks, had Copperhead won against Mammoth, how would the bot have fared against Shatter in the round of 16? Oh, Shatter would have been a juicy morsel for Copperhead. <laughs> we would have gotten right under the sides of that robot, dug into an edge, and just tossed that thing through the air. It would have been great. Dane Ironfoot has a similar question. If you hadn't lost against Mammoth, who are you really looking forward to taking on in the coming rounds of the championship? Uh, well, I mean, we got our we got our first pick, obviously, with Black Dragon. Um, you know, I think I think Tombstone is kind of like a rite of passage that every successful robot eventually has to to defeat. So, you know, maybe maybe it's our turn with Tombstone. Yeah, maybe 2021. Heather Stringfellow asks, who came up with the idea to paint the drum before each fight? The confused snake looking up at Mammoth was one of my particular favorites. Yeah, that was all Kim's. So that's uh, Rob and Kim are married. Um, so Kim Cowan, she she was the artiste. Apparently in her childhood, her entire bedroom was just like decked out in little sketches that she would draw on everything. So naturally, she uh, busted out the paint set and got to work on Copperhead. So she did a lot of the um, design styling for the robot, um, the team shirts. That's her. That's her logo that she she drew. Uh, yeah, all the, the the little snake puppets. That's all Kim. That's that's Kim's. <laughs> that's cool. Well, well, well done, Kim. Um, <clears throat> Clepton Gilroy asks, what are some of the pros and cons of using the custom molded urethane wheels over sourcing some of those mythical, quote unquote, Brazil wheels? Oh, yes, the Brazil wheels. Uh, I think we just wanted to have more control over the schedule of building Copperhead and getting the wheels done in time to get the Brazil wheels that you know, everyone loves. I think the Brazil wheels are maybe a little bit better, a little more traction, a little more uh, durability, but I don't know. We haven't had a problem with our wheels yet. They've they've held up to direct hits from Son of Waiachi and others, so and it's all good. They're very chonky. When you look at them, they look substantial, so that's uh, it's pretty cool. I, I, and it's also like kind of, it's cool to see like it can take a hit and like you don't need wheel guards because your wheel is that thick, which is uh, pretty cool. No wheel guards, wheels are the guards. Wheels yeah. The uh, Noel Viegas asks, where did you get the idea of having the minibot snakes? And do you plan on having a minibot that eventually does stuff? No offense to the snakes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Luke, so Luke Quintal, he uh, he just decided to make them, and we're like, okay, Luke, do it. And uh, I think I don't really want them to be uh, anything more than what they are. I think they were perfect as is. Uh, they got a lot of uh, fan attention, audience attention. So if anyone wants to build their own baby snake, we've got the the tutorial video and the parts list and everything that you need for it. Surprisingly expensive. I, I saw Luke's video. It's like forty bucks a snake or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything BattleBots related is expensive. But yeah. I mean, the 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 comp the complement of baby snakes is probably like what you know half of a speed controller in Copperhead. So <laughs> worth it. <laughs> yeah. Do you plan on coming back next season? Man, I sure hope so. Um, 
right now I'm 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 busy with a full time job, uh, working like sixty eighty hours a week. So it's been a little intense lately, but uh, hopefully things hopefully things settle down. I don't know. Now that the economy is opening, so I'm in I'm oil and gas, and there's a huge demand ramping up as as the economy opens and people start traveling again. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, the intent is to to make it back. Yeah. Sumi Shek has an intriguing idea and writes, I would have liked to see a matchup with you and Shatter. How would you like it if there was a series of one-off exhibition matches based off of the tournament possibilities? Yeah, it'd be interesting. So, I mean, they're doing the the bounty hunters right now, and I think they tried to do some of those fun kind of matchups um, and have like a story behind them. Um, so if you've been watching the discovery plus bounty hunters episodes, there's, there's some good stuff in there. I I've seen, and, uh, I think Copperhead should be making an appearance soon. So now that we're out of the tournament, obviously, I think it's, I think it's safe that I can divulge that knowledge. That's cool. We have a couple of questions about your teammate, Robert Callen, who arguably has the best, uh, you know, beard in, uh, BattleBots. Uh, Jesse Mullen asks your teammate, Robert Callen does a wonderful job showcasing Copperhead and being a spokesperson for the team on his YouTube channel. Would you like to add to or correct anything he's covered either about the bot or about fight recaps? No, Rob does an amazing job. So he's a, he's a treasure to have on the team and, Quite honestly, I wish the camera would give him more screen time because he is so good at presenting on screen. Um, the only reason that I'm on instead of Rob is just because there's a precedent from you know 2016 Poison Arrow. But uh, yeah, no, Rob Rob does a great job, and I think he he he'd be a great face for the team maybe in 2021. So. We'll, yeah. we'll try and get him in. Been trying to get him in front of the camera more often. It's just they take a lot of sound bites from all of us, and very little of it ever makes it to the show. So hopefully, hopefully he gets some more time on on screen. But yeah, he's got a great YouTube channel. Definitely check it out. Jake Anderson has a question about YouTube. What's it like to be Tim Captain yet to be less internet famous than your teammate Robert Cowan? <laughs> Is internet fame something you're looking for, Zach? I don't know. I think I think Rob actually makes out pretty well on uh, the YouTube channel, and yeah. not financially, but uh, you know it, it has some perks. Yeah. Uh, he definitely, it, it definitely gets him into some doors that uh, otherwise wouldn't open. So I think you know everything's kind of going to streaming anyways. Honestly, nobody watches cable anyway. Um, so I hope BattleBot starts to get with the times and maybe move more in that direction. Obviously, Discovery Plus is doing that for him a little bit. But uh, yeah, they need to get on YouTube, get on Netflix or something. Yeah. Alexander Archer asks, how different was it to compete on BattleBots this season because of all of the strict COVID-19 safety protocols that were in place? I kind of uh, enjoyed this year's filming more than other years. Maybe it was just that production was more organized to deal with the COVID protocols. It just, everything ran a lot more smoothly. Uh, you know, you don't have the live audience, so you don't have to cater to that. Um, I don't know, everything was spread out a lot more for, you know, social distancing purposes. And we had a lot more room to work on the robot instead of being squished together. Um, it was just, uh, it was pretty, pretty easy. The only thing I, I missed was some air conditioning. Uh, you know, they just had the doors rolled up and hot, 
LA summer, uh, lots of sweating. But uh, overall, I'd say it was a pretty good time. I didn't mind it too much. Back to the mini bots. Uh, my girlfriend doesn't like robots. Co-host Matt Hedger asks, "Are any of the teeny tiny snake bots available to buy?" Asking for a friend. Ah, uh, you know we've had that couple of requests, but we've never never put a kit together. But there is a whole list of materials you need on our team page. There's a video that Luke did uh, that goes over how to put them together, and yeah, they are a blast. Uh, so you can just buy the little snake body, um, and it's got its own little IR remote, but it kind of sucks. So that's why we had to uh, Frankenstein it with like a little RC car to make it way better. Lindsay Yuriko wants to know if the snake minibots have names. I always thought like Copperhead and the Danger Noodles would sound like a good indie band. <laughs> Love it. Luke, um, Luke calls them baby snakes, so that's I think the official name. The creator's um, given name. Lindsay also asks, I see you guys really like snakes, but do you have any pet snakes of your own? If you do, what kind of snakes do you own? No, strangely enough, we just kind of do this as a shtick for the show. Although Kim is into some exotic uh pets, I guess you'd call them. Um she's got like a, a couple of tarantulas and I think a few other critters. So very, you know, kind of eclectic mix of fauna. Um, Chad, he wasn't on, he wasn't present for the filming, but he's kind of a unofficial teammate that helps out every once in a while. He, he owns an entire exotic reptile store. Whoa. So he's got everything. And we're trying to see if maybe he can hook us up with, you know, like a 20 foot Python for next year. Whoa. You know? Yeah, or or maybe just like a box full of snakes that you know falls out of the <laughs> the ceiling, you know, snakes on a plane style. Yeah, <laughs> Indiana yeah. Jones snake pit. Yeah, uh, we have a final listener question from Richard Sum who asks: If you removed Copperhead from the equation, how many of those snake mini bots could you field at once, and how confident would you be in them collectively taking home the giant nut? <laughs> I wish we could field them all. I wanted to have like three or four of them going at any one given time. Um, yeah, maybe if you threw enough of them in there, they just like entangle everything. Uh, <laughs> it'd be like, you know, fighting a, a, a ball of yarn almost. <laughs> uh, for technical reasons, though, we can only have two running at a time. Um, apparently, the remotes only have two channels that you can switch them to. So we were, we were technically limited to two. Something to uh, no, oh, apparently apparently we were in violation of the BattleBots rule set. I found this out by someone who pointed it out to me online. Um, <laughs> only one mini bot is allowed, um, and so we had two. So, yep, breaking the rules. Yeah. Well, if you come with a box of mini bot snakes in 2021, we'll know that uh, that Richard Sum has has gotten through to the team. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking the last hour uh, of of your time and investing it with us. Um, really, really appreciate uh, learning more about Copperhead, and we cannot wait to see the bot again in the battle box again soon. I appreciate you having me on. This was a blast, and uh, look forward to listening to the episode. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World.
Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week we're traveling to Boston, where we check in yet again with our friends at Boston Dynamics, who sharply criticized a viral art collective who designed an art exhibit where people could shoot art pieces with a paintball gun mounted on top of one of the company's robotic dog Spot. Sounds like something they could do at Mammoth Ranch next episode. The stunt, called Spot's Rampage, allowed anyone to randomly control the robot over the internet in hopes of raising ethical questions about weaponized robots and drone violence. Boston Dynamics condemned the stunt, saying it violated the terms of its sales agreement, which required people not to weaponize Spot, which is, I suppose, a, a good uh, sales agreement. But this is this is interesting because there's a lot to think about, especially if it's just interesting, right? There's a sales agreement that says, hey, you can't weaponize this, but where's what is there to really enforce it? Especially once after, you know, any damage could, could possibly be done. So I think this art exhibit really raises some interesting questions. Especially with NYPD now releasing spots out into the wild as uh, at police units. Right? Right? Yeah. Which I think is part of the reason for this um, this artistic expression. By the way, there is a great post on the BattleBots group about how to disable a spot uh, if you ever need to because you're getting chased down by a police spot, which I thought was super interesting. A bunch of people reported that post and said that it was not relevant to robot combat. And quite frankly, it is a post about combating a robot. So yes, it is relevant. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought this art piece was really cool. I think that it's definitely something to worry about. We've all seen that black mirror episode where the main character is just getting hunted down by spots and other robotic drones uh, it's a scary prospect it's the world we're moving into um you know i think that personal protection devices are going to start uh involving emp personal emp weapons pretty soon because this is uh this is where we're heading yeah, and I, I don't think it's enough for Boston Dynamics to be able to say like, oh, well, you know, you really can't add weapons to our bots because it goes against the, the you know, terms of agreement or whatever. Because I, I, I do think that there is more responsibility on their end to consider the implications of their technology. I mean, I keep thinking about all of the people that have cut the tags off their mattresses. Oh, don't <laughs> report me, Kyle! Hey, I'm just saying that goes against the terms of sale. So, you know... It's a big problem, not not keeping those tags on those mattresses or putting guns on your robots. I wonder how Asimov would feel that the real first trial of his three laws of robotics would be that um, uh, it was built into the terms of service of uh, a company's robotic dog so that people wouldn't mount paintball guns on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, do, does do, do the three laws they do they do they only deal with autonomous robots, you know? Cuz I mean spot spot's basically a remote controlled tool, right? Is is it is it I mean are they are they putting autonomous software inside of it or is it, you know, basically being operated by drone? Both. You can do either or. It runs by drone with Wi-Fi. Um, but they also have autonomous modes. The gun is not operated autonomously on this particular art installation, from what I understand. Um, but that doesn't mean you couldn't figure out a way to program that in. Right, right. Yeah, you could put put a turret on there, kind of like 
give it its own software, its own its own camera. Hey, Donald Hudson already developed that. You know, he uh, yeah. just got to take that tech, put it on that tech, a little bit of tech mix match, and you got yourself a deadly robotic dog murder machine. We're ending on another high note, you guys. Good job. This is uh, <laughs> we're hopeful. It's not. It's not our fault. We live in a dystopian future. Okay, it's not our fault. Just the way the world works. At least it's a dystopian future that you know we get TikTok out of. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, let's just go back to the robotic sloths. Yeah, yeah. Let me let's let's check in on that project. Well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday as we run for our lives from robot dogs with guns. <laughs> we'll also, if we're lucky, talk to another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. See ya. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.